Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Short Term Show special episode series on the high country of North Carolina. So we are going to be doing a 10 episode deep dive into everything you need to know about buying a short term rental in this market. And we do have a few supplemental materials for y'all to check out over on our website. So any information that you need on pricing of short-term rental properties in this market, you can find it on our website at theshorttermshop.com. You can also find income data, thanks to our friends over at airdna.com. You can find that on our website, again, at theshorttermshop.com. If you guys are interested in buying a short-term rental property with a short-term shop agent in this market, you can email us at agents at theshorttermshop.com or you can join our Facebook group. We've created an amazing community with over 50,000 people where we talk about all short-term rental investing all day, every day. And you can join that. The name of the group is the same title as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. And we look forward to seeing you over there. Thanks, y'all. Hey guys, welcome back to the short term show special episode series on the high country of North Carolina. Today, we're going to talk about what to buy. So we're going to talk about where the best areas to buy are in the high country, what size, what style, everything you need to know about what you're going to be looking for in terms of the property itself. We're discussing numbers and expenses and things like that in other episodes. So this is solely on the property and location itself. So we have a really cool panel here today. I think they are all familiar faces for those of you who have been listening for a while. First one is Julie McCoy, the number two OG short-term shop agent. Uh, Julie, you want to introduce yourself really quick? Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm Julie McCoy. I am an agent over in the Tennessee Smokies is my specialty, but I grew up vacationing in Western North Carolina most of my life. And uh, yeah, got a cabin in the Maggie Valley area. We're talking about high country today. I love the high country and hope I can contribute. Thanks, Julie. And next we have Mr. Garrett. I don't know what a ladybug looks like. Simmons. <laughs> Go ahead, Garrett. Y'all yeah, hear about Avery, that story later. <laughs> uh, good to be back on. Yeah, Garrett Simmons, uh, Avery's loan agent in the high country, a part of the short-term shop. Been in about a year and a half, almost, I don't even know now, 15, 16 months. So yeah, have helped a lot of people buy short-term rentals up here, have bought and owned real estate up here, and uh, have gone to school up here and been on and off here for the last decade now, which shows my age. So it's happy to be on here and uh, diving more in the weeds on, on STRs up in the mountains. Thanks, Garrett. And last, we have Brad Burcham, who, now that I think about it, I think he owns in more short-term shop markets than any other short-term shopper. I'm going to have to double check that, but I think that you do. But anyway, I'll let you introduce yourself past that. That's interesting. I I joke with a lot of my friends that uh, my strategy for the last three years has been wherever Avery will open an office, that's where I'll buy a, a cabin or a property. <laughs> so um, it's worked out all right so far. Uh, so I've I've owned in high country for uh, almost a year now. I guess I was one of Garrett's first clients up there, and um, I I love it too. It's amazing. Um, it's it's just close enough to go go visit, and um, it, it's a really cool place. I'm I'm excited to talk about that today. Yeah, and I was just making a list in my brain of I think you're like almost every one. You've got Smokies, you've got high country, you've got Western North Carolina mountains, like the our other. Uh, North Carolina market. You've got Blue Ridge, Gulf yeah. Shores, Broken yeah. Bow. Yeah. That's Mexico like Beach. Mexico Beach. Yeah. So what's that? Oh. Eight? 
eight of, I'm like 50% of Avery's markets. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> I know. It's impressive. I'm impressed. <laughs> I need to, got to step my game up. <laughs> All right. So first things first, most important thing when you're choosing a market and when you're choosing a property with like a sub market within a market is regulation. So Garrett, can you kind of go over the general regulations of the area and the, I, I consider it three areas, Boone, Blowing Rock and Banner Elk, but you know, add in anything else. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So Overall, as a whole, compared to some other markets in the country, there's not going to be a ton of regulations. That being said, there are a couple zones. Uh, really, in, as far as the town goes, Boone and Blowing Rock are going to have some regulations. Um, the town of Boone has uh, R1 zoning is going to be something to stay away from. Typically, it's around downtown, around the university. Um, because we have the university and we have enough local population, some of these neighborhoods are trying to uh, protect the local population, residential neighborhoods, keep college kids out, which those laws is more than two unrelated people, which then actually it's not necessarily no short-term rentals. It's no more than two unrelated people, which is college kids and short-term rentals. So we kind of lump into that same uh, category. So in and around Boone, around the university, you're going to see a lot of those pockets. Um, the entire town of Blowing Rock, if you were in the Blowing Rock city limits, um, you are going to have, um, you can't rent less than 28 days. Now, where this gets a little bit interesting is that there are a lot of parts of the town and area that are not part of the town. So there are no county regulations anywhere up here. So for instance, Brad's place, Brad, you got a Blowing Rock or Boone address? Uh, it's Boone. The new construction Boone. is going to be Blowing Rock. So Brad's got a new construction yeah. that's Blowing Rock address, but it's not part of the town of Blowing Rock. So it's on, he's right. on well and septic and he doesn't have to, you know, he can rent short term because it's just part of Watauga County. Now, some people ask, well, what if it ever goes, you know, gets annexed? you have to ask the city to become part of the city. And that's usually like if your well runs dry and you want to tap into the water, et cetera. So there's not really any risk of Brad's, you know, new construction down the road being part of Blowing Rock. So there's a lot, Blowing Rock's a really popular area. Um, so if you can find an area, uh, you know, find a place that it has a Blowing Rock address because every house has to have some sort of address, even if it's not part of that town, then that can be super attractive. So that's something that uh, I would look, look at, um, it's safe to say if you're on city water or city sewer and it have a blowing rock address, you can't rent short term. Um, so that's that's one that's probably the biggest regulation. Um, and then obviously some some pockets of Boone. And then um, once you get out to Banner Elk, there's going to be no city reg re regulations out there in the Beach Mountain, Sugar Mountain, Banner Elk area. Um, that being said, you will sometimes find some HOAs that uh, prohibit short term rentals. Typically, it's going to be in some neighborhoods, some really high end neighborhoods that kind of focus on second home country club communities, gated communities that really aren't going to cash flow anyway. Um, but again, it's something to think about. Usually listings will do a pretty really good job at advertising that and um, you'll be able to see that. But yeah, HOAs is going to be the only other, other kind of regulation in some of these higher end homes and then the Boone and Blowing Rock kind of city regulations. Is Banner Elk unincorporated or is that an actual town? Banner Elk is an actual town. Um, there's a couple little like districts, um, for instance, like Valley Cruces is a really famous kind of historic area district in town, but it's an unincorporated sort of district. So if you have a place in Valley Cruces, you're either going to have a Banner Oak, Sugar Grove or Vilas address. Um, so that's another thing to think about. I know we can kind of dive into it, but the towns are, you know, you could have a place closer to Boone and Blowing Rock and it could have a Banner Elk address just because of the way that it's unincorporated and it has to have some sort of address and because of the, you know, where it is. And so it can be important to just kind of look at a map and be like, all right, how, where, where am I actually? Um, because even Vilas, you might be really in Boone, but Vilas also stretches out close to the Tennessee border. 
20 minutes from Boone. So um, that's something to think about when you're, when you're looking at properties. Yeah. Well, as we, that's a really good segue into my next topic is location. Like where's the best location? Uh, You mentioned having a blowing rock address is a really cool thing to have. What other tips in terms of regulations can you share with the listeners? I mean, sorry, what other tips in terms of location? location. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I know we've touched about it and it's going to overlap a little bit in a couple of different episodes, but we, we really kind of have a couple of different sub markets. I would say that Banner Elk, Beach Mountain, Sugar Mountain area is going to be really see not not really seasonal. It's going to be a little more seasonal and a lot more busy in the wintertime because of the proximity to the ski slopes. And those are going to be the big two ski resorts. So, you know, I tell people as far as people's annual revenue, it's going to be, I think it's pretty similar across the board, but if given the right property, but it's going to be a little bit more seasonal percentage wise. So it really kind of all depends on your goals. If you have a place at the beach that is super summer, you know, the high seasons in the summertime, and you want to offset that summer income with something in the wintertime, maybe it's something, you know, a little bit closer to beach, Beach Mountain, Sugar Mountain, Banner Elk, where you're going to see a lot more income in the wintertime. You know, if you're closer to Boone Blowing Rock, um, not that you're going to be dead in the wintertime, but in the summertime, it's going to be a little bit busier because people want to be in and around Boone Blowing Rock. There's not as much re- the, it, it, there's not as much reason to be close out to Banner Elk, Sugar Mountain, Beach Mountain. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more of a central location. Um, so if you're someone that lives in, you know, I have a lot of clients because it's such a great area to spend time in that will kind of parlay their short-term rental with a second home. So sometimes that really kind of comes down to what where you're at, what you're looking for. If you're someone that likes to ski, then maybe you want to find, actually find a place in Boone or Blowing Rock because you're going to come up a lot in the wintertime and you're not going to sacrifice a lot of your revenue versus if you hate the snow, then you know maybe you'll find somewhere closer to that so you can rent it out in the wintertime and then in the summertime when your place is a little bit quieter you can spend time there and you're not you know sacrificing as much revenue so um th- that's what i would say you know with all that being said um there are certain boxes that you can check that i i, I in my opinion it doesn't matter the location like if you have a really sweet view and uh, our views not that there's not views in other parts of the mountains but we are like three times as much elevation so there are you know, half a million dollar views in the right size home. Um, if you have that, you can be a little bit outside of town or you could be in Todd or you could be a little bit out, you know, if you have some sort of unique part of, you know, unique property or it's a river or, um, you know, that view is going to be a huge role, you know, play a huge role in, in your rental revenue and your demand, uh, as well as the price. Um, so I know it's a long winded answer, but it is, uh, yeah, split with a couple of different sub markets up here. Okay. So would you say that there's any one area location wise that makes more or less money or in any one location that's more desirable overall? Yeah. Or yeah. okay. I, yeah, I would right. I would say the I mean, you know, I know we talked about the regulations and it's kind of it's interesting. So blowing rock, boon blowing rock, I would say is probably the highest revenue. And part of the reason is because the supply is so much lower because you have to have a property, you know, like Brad's new place that's, you know, going to be done in the spring where it's part, it's, it's basically in Blowing Rock, but not in Blowing Rock. And so the supply is not a lot lower and everyone still wants to go to Blowing Rock. Um, so I would say overall and, and historically, the home prices and the property values are the highest in Blowing Rock. It's kind of like that name and area in, in town that gets the most kind of, you know, property values. Um, so yeah, I would say that is probably the highest demand. If you look at AirDNA, all these price labs, it's going to say Boone and Blowing Rock probably are the highest. That being said, if you're a little bit more opportunistic and you know you venture out towards Beach Mountain, that's another area where you could argue has been historically the lowest property values, but is changing rapidly as short-term rentals get more popular. So there's a lot more chance that 
you know, over the next 10, 15 years, Beach Mountain could be the place, you know, it's the cheapest place to buy something. Um, it's close to the ski slopes. There's a, there's a lot, there can be a lot of good views up there. And so that could be something that more long-term you could get some more appreciation, um, but you're going to pay a little bit more of a pretty penny in the kind of the boon blowing rock area. So I found something really interesting in that area that they all tend to have like different personalities. The mm -hmm. vibe of Blowing Rock is vastly different from the vibe of Boone. And I feel like the same is true for Banner Elk. Like Boone definitely kind of has that more of that college town, mm -hmm. you know, a little more, you know, maybe like young hip slash hippie um, sort of vibe to it. And Blowing Rock seems more upscale. And that's just been my impression of their so if there's a demographic that appeals to you as a buyer that you feel like you relate more to, or, you know, is more in your guest avatar, that might be a thing to consider as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, the Boone now, now that the area is growing so much, you know, yes, Boone has, is kind of has a reputation of being the, you know, barefoot wearing college kids. Um, there's more than 25,000 undergrad now. So there's a little bit of everything. And, you know, on top of that, you have a ton of people visiting and family and friends that are coming to Boone. So in and around Boone is always going to be super popular. You know, that's where the hospital is. It's where the Walmart is. It's the only place to buy a TV in the whole high country is at the Walmart and Boone. Um, you know, Blowing Rock, yes. You go you go to downtown Blowing Rock, it's gonna you're feeling like no blade of grass is a you know, is is that a place? You know, there's people, there's a job, there's someone's full-time job to do something that you didn't even know was a full-time job in downtown Blowing Rock, even if it's just like to polish the street lamps. So yeah, very you know. Um, Banner Elk kind of has the, the ski town. And then in the summertime, it's where a lot of, um, snowbirds from Florida have second, third, fourth, 20th homes, um, that have, you know, these houses in these crazy private neighborhoods. And so when you think about the summertime in Banner Elk, you have a lot of kind of older retired people out in that Banner Elk area. Um, and, uh, yeah, once you kind of get on these outskirts, you have a little bit of these people that a little bit of everybody, some people that have a place in the middle of nowhere out in Ash County, um, uh, that's kind of where Ash County is where a lot of like the glamping buy a bunch of land kind of trend is going because the land is a lot cheaper out there. And if you find the right piece of property, there's a lot less restrictions out in the Ash County, which is a little bit North of Boone. Um, and that can be, you know, there's still some really cool pastoral views and uh, the new river goes out there. And so that's another kind of little sub area that some people can argue is the next kind of place to develop the West Jefferson Ash County area, um, which is a little bit North of town. Side note, I uh, did not know the word pastoral view until like last year at age 33. So that what, was your, what would you call, what would you say is a pastoral view? Like a view of a pasture meadow, kind of, yeah. am I wrong? Yeah. In public? I mean, I, I always, I always <laughs> think of it as like, yeah, you know, you can't really see the mountains, but you can see like far away. Like you might, your house might be up on a little bit of a hill and you're looking over like, you know, Christmas tree farms or, you know, you don't get that yeah. tint of long range views, but yeah. Avery, I think I have a pastoral view at my house. Yes. That's exactly what I would think. Okay. I'm I, right. I think right. listing agents just made that view up to make houses sound better when they're selling. Sound like something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love my view. So. I'm a fan. <laughs> okay. So we've gone through regulations, location, Boone, Blowing Rock, Vander Elk, and then some of the, are there any other little areas that you feel like might be up and coming, you know, maybe not like the full traffic of some of the other areas, yeah. um, but areas that might be up and coming a little bit West of Boone, uh, or a little bit North Northwest of Boone, like the Zionville really close to the Tennessee border, which is like mountain city trade. Um, I have a place out in Zionville that is, um, 
still being renovated that I've put off. But, um, and so that's about 20 minutes North of Boone. Um, that's another area that again, has really cool views, a really cool part of town. Um, but is a little bit less like no, not even a restaurant, no stores. You kind of have to drive 15, 20 minutes to get into town. Um, but if you have the right property and it's really cool and people are going to camp out and be there and they're, you know, being there to stay at the actual property versus just a place to lay their head, then, um, I've seen some, you know, things are going to be a little bit cheaper out there. And so the numbers can still sometimes work in that North, North kind of part of town. Awesome. All right. Let's move on to the type of property. So let's first talk about cabins like, or actually, let me just back up. What, what type of property would, is probably the best thing to stick to here? Or are there a number of types of properties? And then I want to hear about Brad, exactly what yours is out there. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's a variety. Um, you know, I talk to people all the time that are know more about the Smokies than I do because they own property there and, you know, have started buying there. Um, so I kind of hear a little bit about it secondhand. Um, my overall kind of sense of survive that I've heard is like in the Smokies, it's cabin or bust. You know, you got to have a cabin. Um, up here, I would say it varies a little bit where, sure, we do have the log cabins. It's not going to hurt you to have a log cabin. Um, but the demographic of people that come up and visit here, a lot of the different types of architectural style, it is not a be all end all to have a straight up log cabin. Um, you'll even see a lot of people that don't want the tongue and groove wood everywhere, a log cabin. Um, you'll see a lot of chalet style looking homes, whether it be, you know, some sort of A-frame or A-frame mix off where you have floor to ceiling glass windows. And, you know, sure, you're not going to have a bright pink house that looks like a beach house, but it might have composite siding with some cedar shaped gables and, uh, you know, dark gray or dark green siding that, um, you know, it makes it look like it's a mountain house inside might have a lot more modern kind of you know, a lot more white, a lot more neutral colors. We're sure you you feel like you're at a mountain house because there's an accent wall with, you know, barn wood on it, but you're not necessarily just saturated with tongue and groove wood everywhere, log cabins. Um, so some people want that. I, I would say that it's not going to hurt you if you have a log cabin. At the same time, um, there's a lot of really cool and nice properties. Some of the highest end homes that people are buying up here might be an all black graphite, you know, composite siding house on top of a mountain with some real cool stone, you know, accents. Um, another thing is that like, I know we get into some of these smaller units, two bedroom and under, you know, sleeps four or less is really popular up here, whether it be an A-frame, whether it be a cool treehouse looking house, whether it be a cool roundhouse on beach mountain. Um, you know, so all of those different architectural styles, you know, that might be frustrating for someone to live in full time. If there's a weird spiral staircase up to the loft, et cetera, could be really cool for a short-term rental. Um, so that's super popular up here. Um, condos, uh, I know could be a separate conversation and a separate podcast, but no, um, go those, ahead. Are, We're here for those are super popular up here, especially in the ski resort area. Um, there's one hotel in Avery County and it's a one-story Best Western. Um, there's a lot of regulations that commercial regulations that prohibit um, the construction over three stories, unless it's mixed use or three stories is the max with mixed use. Um, and, and that came from this giant, ugly eight story, 10 story apartment uh, condo complex on top of sugar mountain in the eighties. So because of that, hotels aren't moving in because the, you know, the regulations can't, you know, they don't let them build up. So if you're coming to, if it's just a couple or four friends or less that are coming to go ski or snowboard, you're going to stay in a condo because it's kind of a hotel alternative and you can pay a similar price, a hundred to 150 bucks a night. But now you got a kitchen, maybe even a view, maybe you're closer to the ski resorts, et cetera. So the condos can be a really good um, 
you know, base hit, you're not going to necessarily get a home run deal on these condos. You're not reinventing the wheel. Um, some of the complexes are better than others. Most of them were built in the eighties and they're going to be in that sugar mountain beach mountain area. Um, and, uh, again, can be a really good option for people starting out, you know, HOA fees can cover most of all the expenses, uh, even with utilities. And so it can be a good way to get your feet wet, figure out if you want to manage, you know, short-term rentals are for you. I have a lot of clients that, that do that. Um, and so, yeah, condos kind of on the small scale, they do work here. They're great, uh, which I know can vary in some other markets. Um, so yeah, a little bit of everything. Um, but I would, I think the overall gist is it's not a be all end all has to be a log cabin up, up in the area. Yeah. I'm actually a big fan of condos because people, you can get into a condo in some markets with less competition than you can like a cabin. And I'm only talking about when I say I'm a fan of condos, I mean, I'm only a fan of condos in areas like this, where the entire reason that the condo building exists is for short-term rentals. I'm not talking about condos where a lot of people live, where you're probably going to get regulated out. But in markets like this, I'm a big fan because a lot of people are scared of condos because they're scared of condo fees and they're scared of assessments, but that stuff doesn't bother me. And a lot of times you can, you can get in for a lot cheaper than a comparable single family. But when it comes to HOA fees, you want to make sure that you're looking at what they cover. So if it's like a $500 a month HOA fee, but it doesn't cover anything, that doesn't make sense. But if it covers a lot of things that you would have to pay anyway, like cable and internet, a lot of them cover, a lot of them co cover water and exterior maintenance and your insurance is going to be less because you're only having to insure what's inside the house or condo. So uh, just look into that before you completely dismiss condos. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's kind of cool because yeah, yeah a no, lot of times I people think that the, if it's not a beach community that condos don't work. And in some places they don't like the Smokies, for example, which I hate to keep comparing to, but, right. um, that's cool that condos work in this market. I would say the other thing too, I mean, I know the Smokies doesn't have hurricanes and floods like the beach does, but, um, they, the master insurance and HOA fees tend to be a little bit lower up here because we don't have the natural disasters that you might see at the beach. So if you got an oceanfront condo, yeah, you might be paying like crazy master insurance through your HOA, et cetera, um, that we don't have up here. You know, the first piece of real estate I ever owned out of college, this was right when Avery, you know, I remember listening to Avery's podcast, you know, the first time she was on Bigger Pockets in like 17 or 18. And I had a condo that I didn't, I just kind of stumbled into renting it when I didn't live there. Um, and uh, it was great. I paid, and at the time, I paid 220 a month in HOA fees. But again, it covered everything from water to electric to, you know, if I didn't have, I was broke. If I needed a new roof, I wouldn't have been able to pay for that, which the HOA fees, you know, kept money in escrow that when, you know, we needed a new deck and a new clubhouse, I got billed 3000 bucks and they built a brand new club, you know, everyone in the complex gets billed. So, you know, HOA fees, your CapEx when you're, you know, running numbers can kind of still take a CapEx and use that towards your special assessments. Cause you're still going to need a new, you know, deck, new siding, a new roof. It's just not going to come, you know, you're only paying for a portion of it. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of condos, but uh, it all kind of depends on the right one. Brad, um, what are what? Tell us about the properties that you. I know you have one existing, and you're building another one. How? What are those like? Like, what's the style of those? So the the one that I have currently is a small, I would say, uh, slightly larger than a tiny home with a fairly steep driveway, um, gravel driveway that I was a little nervous about. Um, with guests, but it's worked out great. It's actually attracted people to it, I think, being in the mountains. But um, it's a single shed roof, super modern, um, kind of the painted like what Garrett said with the 
the normal siding for normal construction. Um, inside, I would say is a uh, it's finished out pretty high end, like a spa type feel. So I think that also drives people to it. So um, the new one that's coming is actually the same guys developing it. So I um, went under contract with him at the end last fall, I think in November, but um, it's just a slightly larger version of what I have. So what I have is a, it, it's technically a two bedroom, but it's really a one bedroom with a loft bedroom upstairs and two baths. And the one that I'm building is a three bedroom with true three bedrooms. Um, I added a second floor below that's going to have a really cool hangout space with um, a spa and uh, a, a plunge tub and all kinds of amenities that hopefully will drive, you know, like that same spa type feel. Um, I think it's going to crush it even more than the one that I have currently. Um, it's going to do great. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. All graphite, like graphite, kind of dark gray siding, black windows, um, kind of, kind of blacked out and, um, tons of yeah, windows. The builder of his first place was basically like, Hey, I don't, I want to build an actual home. that's not a tiny home and make sure it has two bathrooms. So there's two full bathrooms in it. I think it's what 734 square feet or something along yeah. those lines. Yep. Um, and so, and then, and the new one's going to be, what did, he, what did Christopher just say? 1600, 14, 1600 square feet. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So that's Bad. something to think about too, where it's like, you know, something like that in Brad's house, you know, people, th- you know, in some markets, people are talking about price per square foot as far as an appraisal come, you know, but building up here is so much, there's so many fixed costs that come to building up here that, cha- that are the same versus a, you know, Brad's size house versus a, you know, $6 million house. And so the price per square foot obviously is going to be a ton more in something like Brad's house. That being said, you know, the, demand for rental revenue is going to be way higher on Brad's 734 square foot two, two than maybe a two, two condo on sugar. That's, you know, even more square feet, 900 square feet, two bedroom, two bath. And it could be bring in less than half of what Brad's does, you know, and the price is going to reflect that. So that's something to think about when you're looking at, it's not all just, you know, revenue based on bedroom count. Um, given, you know, people are getting the people that are staying at Brad's places are going to pay a premium because they're getting kind of a special experience. Awesome. So that also segues perfectly. You guys are like, I didn't even send you a copy of the questions that I'm going to ask. You're just like perfectly segueing into my next question every time. Uh, So I want to talk about size. So in a lot of markets, the smaller properties have a higher occupancy rate, but sometimes the larger properties like over five bedrooms, there might not be very many of them. So you can potentially have a higher return on investment on the bigger properties because you're just able to charge so much more money. So um, anyway, what size works or does it really matter? Does it just kind of depend on what the investor is looking for? Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of applies here. I think it's, uh, I tell people it's the smaller this the smaller properties absolutely they're gonna I mean they're they're hotel alternatives so there's because there's not as many hotels unless you're in Boone you know you're gonna stay in a smaller property and even if money's not an object there's still people that aren't gonna rent a five bedroom house if there's only them and their wife it's just not it's it's pointless um so yes the smaller ones I I'd be interested to see I'm Brad's occupancy in the you know the winter time given that he is in Boone Blowing Rock sure there's Apski over there but um and see how his occupancy's been I would say um the larger house is the same way. A lot of the larger homes up here are five bedroom plus are going to be in neighborhoods that don't let short-term rentals and like second homes and whatever. So if you can find a five bedroom plus house that is in a short-term friendly neighborhood or unrestricted, then you're going to still going to see super high occupancy because there's not a lot of them. Um, And with all that being said, you know, 
Brad's building a three bedroom, two bath that I don't think is a, is going to be a bust, you know? So if you have the right property, um, I, I don't think that, uh, there's necessarily a box to be like, Hey, this has, I have to build a tiny house or build a 6,000 square foot house. Um, you know, it, it really is kind of property specific. All right. I had a feeling that was going to be the answer to that. So let's talk about those property specifics. Uh, in terms of views, amenities, things that you need to have. So what things, let's start with what does it absolutely have to have? Like, what are you going to be lacking in income if you don't have it? And then we'll move on to, you know, things to kind of set you apart. So what does every single property have to have? That's that's a question that I think could be argued by different people that own or don't own properties up here. Um, me personally, I don't think there's too many things that is a must have. You you have to have that being said, because if you get the right property for the right price and the right revenue, you know, I've seen people crush it without a hot tub. Other people are like, you got to have a hot tub. It's like, well, I got this property for X amount. So I would say the must haves is the same in every market. You know, your furnishings, I think have to look really nice and have to be really well thought out and done. And your photography has to be really good, which again, that's beating a dead horse. I think that applies in every market. Um, but up here, especially where, you know, you're buying a lot of properties up here that still have green carpet and plastic on the couch from the eighties. And, you know, you really have to be, there's a lot of people that it's not necessarily the bare ball, the bare paw print shower curtains. There's a lot more, I kind of call it a modern mountain feel of, you know, the people that are vacationing up here from North Carolina, a lot of them are North Carolina transplants from California, New York. It's a lot of tech people. It's a lot of people from that are between my age and 40 um, that maybe have spent their whole life vacationing in Lake Tahoe or whatever it is. And so um, that, that interior, how it's, how it's, how it's kind of staged furnished, I think is a necessity as far as views. I think of you, the top properties up here all have used. That being said, you're going to pay a premium for it. So for instance, Brad's property, his 734 square foot house, you put that on top of a Ridgeline, the same house with a four state view on the back deck. It could be a $700,000 house. I think he paid 425 for his. And so it's like, you just kind of have to outweigh the numbers on, okay, yes, this property is worth a ton more. Am I going to bring in twice as much or a third of, you know, so it all kind of is property specific, but a view is definitely going to be the biggest determinant of price up here as well as rental revenue. So it is kind of a, a catch 22 um, value add. You're going to see a lot of houses that need a little bit of cosmetic work. You might have some places that have basements that are unfinished um, because we're in the mountains. Obviously there's a lot of basements up here. So that can be something to look out for um, even with ADUs or separate garages that could potentially be converted because garages in a short-term rentals, you know, I think they're better used as game room versus somewhere place for someone to park their car for two days. Um, so that's something you can see. Um, and um yeah. As far as amenities, I mean, hot tubs, I think you can use, I know you can use year round as far as the weather. Um, now how much more it gives is you really kind of probably have to rent it a year without it and have a baseline and then have it. Um, so yes, I think, I definitely think if you have a hot tub, that's going to be value, you know, value add. That being said, again, it's not one of those things where, you know, we just had Joe on, he doesn't have hot tubs in any of his units and crushes it. I know he has plans to put them in, but it's not necessarily something where it's like, Hey, I need to put a hot tub before I put this live. You know, I, I would not say that that's a that's a necessity. I mean, Brad doesn't have one at uh, his one unit. Um, not to say that they're not value added, but I don't necessarily think they're necessary. Um, yeah, Brad, I don't know if you have any thoughts there. 
Yeah, it's funny because um, in every other market that I own, like the number one question you get pretty much year round, even in the summertime in Blue Ridge, and it's 107 degrees. The first question you get is, will the hot tub be functioning or is the hot tub working, um, which blows my mind. But um, the Smokies in Blue Ridge, you it is a you you have to have it. If you don't have it, you're you're lost. Um, you're you're going to the bottom of the list. But like you said here, um, you know my the the first one it it's super close to the university and to town and to the walmart where people can buy a tv and um all the all those uh things you know it's literally three or four minutes from all those locations so i think that and the inside of the cabin is finished super high end and has that spa feel so that i think is just a trade-off for the hot tub um i do think i might do slightly more but i very rarely have anyone ask uh, you know, do, I, do you have a hot tub? It's funny because in every other market, it's that's the number one, the first question you get. So I am going to put a hot tub at the new of the three bedroom because I think there will be larger groups there and more hanging out at the property. And um, I just think it will drive more revenue there in the three bedroom. But on the smaller one or two bedroom, I don't know that it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, I mean, and that's a good point. I think in some of these smaller properties, it's going to be a little bit less necessary than some of these bigger properties where you have a ton of people, you know, if you have a couple come in, yeah. you know, like Avery hates hot tubs, there's going to be someone like, you know, Avery and Luke come stay at your house and they're not going to get in a hot tub. But if Avery and Luke rent a bigger house and there's eight people, you know, six of those people might want to get in the hot tub. And so yeah. Avery might be asking not for her, but for the other six. And so, um, yeah. All right. So a view is preferable, but you don't have to have a view to perform well, right? Yeah, I mean, the price the price you pay for a property is going to be significantly less than one that has a view. And so, mm-hmm. if the numbers the numbers could still make sense without a view. Um, that being said, I think uh, the top performing properties they all have views, but you're going to pay a premium for it. So yeah, you just kind of have to outweigh that. And there's and there's and there's layers of views like Brad. There's seasonal views. Like I don't, I don't know, Brad. Do you kind of have a winter seasonal view at? rabbit yeah. run if yeah i would say it's uh it's moderate you know it's not like eye-popping uh amazing view but it it is de- there's definitely a view this time there's, of year until there's spring. something there then in the springtime yeah. summertime there's just leaves so there's definitely layers and levels to the views um that uh yeah yeah i've come up with a very scientific way to quantify a long-range mountain view and just you know kind of a whatever view i call them majestic views or cute views. So the majestic views are where you can see, you know, way off, you could see a lot of, a lot of peaks and then cute views are where like, okay, you can tell you're in the mountains. Like you can see some hills, but it's not, not crazy. I'm still trying to figure it out from a word standpoint, because like, I think there's views that camera, the camera does it justice where it's like, okay, yep. It looks like what the camera shows. And then I get, I still, you know, I've been up here forever and I'll get on back porches and I'll be like, I'll take a video of the house or something and I'll be talking. I'll be like, now nah, you got to understand like this, even this camera doesn't un- like, this is a different view makes you feel like a different, you feel like you're on top of the world. There's that kind of separate level to like, Oh wow. This is like, I think I layered sometimes long range layered mm-hmm. views. Is sometimes yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. lots of, lots of words. I say multi-state view. You oh. can see, and a lot of these places you can see North Carolina, Virginia, and Tennessee. Oh, that's and pretty some cool. Some places, Georgia, depending on where you are. Oh, that is cool. Even Georgia from up there? Yeah, this, uh, it depends. It, that's more kind of towards the Asheville area, but yeah. Wow. Well, we don't get that in the Tennessee side, really. Not where we are anyway. 
So what about, this isn't technically an amenity, but something that I want people to kind of pay attention to as they're looking for properties, steep roads. How, what is that? What's the road situation or driveway situation when you're looking at properties? Cause right now we're talking about, we've got a whole episode guys later on like things to do to set yourselves apart once you already own the property. But I'm talking about here, what you're looking for when you're buying. So uh, what's the deal with roads and steepness and potential, you know, drop-offs over the side, yeah. all that. What yeah. are we looking I'll, for? I'll let Brad take this. Cause I know he's got, he's, he can speak firsthand. He's got a steep driveway. Um, yep. So I would say as a general rule of thumb, Avery, all of the uh, main roads and even the neighborhood roads, like my, my neighborhood roads, it's paved all the way to my driveway. So I would say there there are steep curving roads to get there, but um, it's nothing that a, you know, you, you don't need a Bronco to get there. You know, you can you can get there in a, in a Honda Civic. Um, and I have two options for parking. I have one at the top of the driveway and then, you know, I make it blatantly clear on my listing that if you go down in the driveway, it's a, it's a four by four only, um, all, all seasons, all year round. And if there's even a hint of snow, you know, don't, don't go down in the driveway. Um, so, you know, it, it has worked. I, I was honestly, I was pretty nervous about that. Cause that's the first one that I've had that is gravel and super steep and it has not deterred anybody. And it, I, I think it has actually um, attracted people as long as you blatantly, it's one of the first things I've put in my listing that, you know, it's, it's four by four only. So, um, I would say as a general rule of thumb that most people that come up there kind of expect it, like, kind of like when you go skiing in, uh, in park city, you kind of expect to, to get an all, all wheel drive car, you know, pe- people kind of expect it. So, um, it has definitely hasn't deterred anyone from staying, but obviously if you could have a less steep driveway, then that would be preferable. But, um, to get the good views and to be in the good locations, you're probably going to trade that, you know, you're, it's going to be a trade-off. So mine is super close to town, but it feels like it's out in the middle of nowhere because it's surrounded by trees and forest and has one of the, the cute views as Avery would say, it's not, a, <laughs> it's, right. it's cute. It's cute ish. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that's a great analogy of like, yeah, when you go, when you go out to Breckenridge and you fly into Denver and drive to Breckenridge, you're not renting a Honda civic. You're like, yeah, there's a great chance there's going to be snow now. Sure. We're, we're, we're not even that we're not even that much. Like we don't get that much snow, but people expect that, you know, like, Hey, you know, you come from North, you know, you're coming from these areas that might get dustings once a year. They're like, Hey, we're going to the mountains. Like we're going to take our four wide four car. And sure. You're always going to have idiots that try to go down your driveway at a Honda civic. And, you know, I have actually found the most resilient people that can get anywhere is the cleaners. And they all drive like little Honda civics and I'll have people be like, Hey, my cleaners got down and out in their civic. So, you know, um, you know, but another good point is those views, you know, no one has, no one, goes downhill into a valley to have a long range three state majestic you name it long layered view they expect to go up to get the view so you know if people know that what they get you know it's kind of like one of those kind of like going on a hike you're like hey i'm this sucks but i'm gonna go up and have a really cool view and it can attract people when there's like hey it's almost like their adventure and experience starts just getting to the cabin, which again, can be a pain in the butt for some people. But if you advertise it and swing it on your listing of being like, Hey, this is a four by four only off the grid cabin in the woods kind of thing. You know, people are going to eat that up and they're like, Oh, this is cool. And they're going to talk about years to come, how crazy it was just to get to the cabin, you know, in some capacities in some areas. So it can be, it can definitely be a marketing tool and can be a amenity if you swing it right and are prepared for it. 
Well, and then you self-sort the guests too. Like the people who are afraid of that, who don't want that, as long as they know, know, then they're not running your house. And that's fine because then you don't get the people who are complaining about it. Right. If I have four-wheel drive only blasted all over my listing and page, and then someone leaves me a bad review, be like, I got stuck. I couldn't get up there. And anybody with a pulse is going to look at that bad review and then look at the listing and like, this guest is crazy because it's blasted everywhere that this is an off the grid, four wheel drive only kind of place. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think the thing to remember here is if you want the view, you have to go up the mountain and things are steep on mountains. So as long as I don't think that buying a that a property that has a steep driveway is a deal breaker. I don't think that's a reason to not buy a property. I think like you said, you just make sure that you are announcing that a number of different ways for so that the get because people don't read. So if you only put it one place in your listing, they're probably not going to read it. So you have to make sure that it's several different places. But one of ours, like our top top performer is um it's not the newest nicest cabin in the whole world and it's on an absolutely terrifying road that if you've listened to any of my other podcasts you've probably heard the story about luke having a panic attack on this road the first time that we went up it and stopping the truck and i'm having to get out and walk and he said he was going to walk down and the helicopter is going to have to come get the truck i guess i don't know but anyway so that one is our top producer and we just make sure that everybody knows the road is really scary and so far it's been like We've owned that one since 2016 now, and the reviews have been great. So you just have to set that expectation. So it's not a reason to not buy something. Um, The last question that I have is when it comes to searching for value add properties. So are there any tips, tricks, uh, advice that you have for the types of properties that typically make good value adds? So for example, like the the roundhouses, I know a lot of those that are when they're pre- rehab, they're significantly cheaper. So is there any anything you would tell people to look for in terms of, hey, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, uh, you can really add some value to this thing? Yeah. I mean, I think there's enough properties that uh, people have done them kind of right to look at kind of uh, what this is, what my house should look like when it's done. Um, like any other sort of value-add rehab, I would say budget for more than you think. A lot of these roundhouses were built in the 80s and the construction's kind of a little funky and weird. Um, but uh yeah, I mean, it's kind of straight, not straightforward, but a lot of these properties, yeah, they're they're a thousand square foot roundhouse. What you see is what you get, and you know, make sure you have experience with you know construction and renovation, all that. It can be you know, figuring out. I think the biggest thing for value add up here is figuring out or new construction is figuring out when you're buying it, and you know when you're going to do the rehab because the seasons are crazy up here and bipolar and in the summertime it's springtime it could be super wet and rainy in the wintertime if you're not dried in to do something you're going to spend you know you're going to it's going to be weeks or months where you can't do anything because there's snow and everything's frozen and it's just nasty weather so that would i would think is the big thing i wouldn't say there's anything necessarily special up here as far as value add than any other market you know figure out how much money something takes and what the arv arv is going to be and there's enough comps to kind of show that um, and, and work from there, but kind of figuring out when you're buying and your timetable, I think is going to be, going to be important. Well, I mean, I think the garages, I, m- I mentioned that mm-hmm. that can be oh, something, yeah. you know, where, Hey, something with a garage can be a game. And I have a client that's buying a house now with a big giant RV garage. That is huge that they're going to turn into something. Um, I have a value add that I bought that didn't have well or septic. It was just an old like hunting cabin with nothing. And so that was obviously a bigger value add, almost like new construction. That can be something too. Um, 
so yeah, there's a lot of different ways to get creative. Um, I also will say, depending on where you are, the building regulations just aren't necessarily as crazy. I, I don't think they're, they're a little bit more than Tennessee. I heard there's like, that's like the wild, wild west. But um, so just kind of look at what you're buying. It's not necessarily, you know, you're going to be buying decks are a huge thing where you buy a deck before 2000 and there was no code on building a deck. So it's just janky four by fours going 20 feet up when any anybody and their mother would tell you now it's got to be six by six eight by eights you know no ground contact whatever so that's probably something that can be a really big i know it can be a really big expense that people don't think about oh, i'm just going to paint or stain it but if you need a new deck that could be a 20 to forty thousand dollar job depending on how big it is and stores and le- you know, levels hey avery something i've noticed a lot up there not garrett can probably speak to this too is that there are a lot of older uh, I guess bungalow is the right word or um, yeah, older yeah. houses that were probably built in the thirties to the sixties that have been, a lot of people have bought them and rehabbed, I guess, value add. There's several restaurants that are that way that are super cool. Um, so I, I'm not a handy person and I, I, I'm more of a new construction type person, but if you are and <clears throat> you're into that, um, I, there are some opportunities there where those don't exist, like in the Smokies and Blue Ridge, you have to have more of a traditional cabin in those markets, but here, I do think like in the, I've noticed a bunch in Banner Elk as I've driven through that um, they are super cool and can definitely, you know, they can probably be purchased for half what I paid, but you're going to have to put a hundred or 150 in it and probably spend the same amount as what I spent. It's going to end up being super cool. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of cool. There's a lot of districts, especially out in that Banner Elk Valley cruises that are on the historic list in towns and, you know, yep. Daniel There's Bins, some old farmhouses that people have remodeled. I know some farmhouses like out in the middle of the field with a pond, you know, like that, that can be yeah. super cool on Airbnb. So, Doc Watson's cousin's mom's house lived yeah. there or whatever it was. Yeah. With uh, with those houses that are on the historic, historical registry, it, are there a lot of regulations about how you can rehab them? I know there are certain districts that can be really strict about that. Yeah, there are. I would say it's not necessarily as... Not as many houses are on the historic list. A lot of them are just old. Um, but the ones that are, yes, there's some development things that you need to check with planning inspections on how you're going to renovate it. You can't, most, the biggest thing is you can't tear it down and change the overall aesthetic of like, you can't build a modern Brad's house on a historic, whatever you got to, you know, play by the rules. Gotcha. All right. Well, in closing, is there anything else that we may not have covered that you feel like the listeners really need to know when it comes to what to buy in the high country? I think we kind of touched on it all. Um, Yeah. Overall, I mean, I I think another thing that people don't necessarily talk about as much when we talk or in the short-term space is kind of market appreciation. Um, They think, you know, we think cash flow, rental revenue, et cetera. Um, This is an area that has just been overdeveloped, uh, continually developed even pre-COVID just because of the growth of North Carolina and who's coming up here. And so um, you have a lot of people, it's not just short-term rentals that I have up here, whether you have full-time residents or second home, vacation home people. So that's something to think about when you're buying, if you're thinking long-term on, um, you know, how's my house going to appreciate, you know, I, condos typically don't appreciate. I bought a condo for forty thousand dollars in twenty eighteen. That same condo I just sold to somebody for one hundred sixty. And so, seeing four times, obviously, all that was just the you know general craziness. But we saw a lot of appreciation even before COVID hit, and before the market took off, just because there's only so much land up here. It's really hard to build up here, and um, and everyone still has the demand and the inventory is low. So that's the only thing, other thing to think about. But I think we covered kind of most of, most of everything. 
Well, I thought of something though, with new construction, do you see a lot of new construction? Brad's obviously building a couple, but is that common or not really? Uh, yes. No, it's funny you say that. My brother uh, is is now a builder up here. He's finishing up his first project and we're trying to build some stuff together because there's a need for that. Um, it's, it's tough. It's trickier to build up here. So the barriers to entry are a little bit harder. It's really harder to build small properties and make money because there's a lot of fixed costs. And then we talked about it. So when a property like Brad's comes on for you know, 425, 450, that builder, unless it's, you know, um, they're building a ton of them right next to each other. They're going to have more margins building a $1.5 million house that someone's going to buy, whether it's a short-term investor or just a second homer. Um, So yes, if you find new construction, it can be, there's a lot of hoops to jump. Everyone and their mother wants to buy land and put an Airstream or buy whatever, but septic and well is a huge thing. Um, And grading a driveway, you know, doesn't change versus the size of the house. So I would say the new construction is definitely popular and there's a demand for it, uh, but the supply is definitely super low. And which, yeah, hopefully that'll change in the next couple of years, but it's only two of us. We're starting, starting small. All right. Well, if nobody has anything else, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, guys, if you have more questions on this market or if you want to work with Garrett, there's a few ways to do that. Uh, the first would be to email agents at the shorttermshop.com. Or if you have more questions, we do a weekly investor Q&A at strquestions.com to sign up. Thanks, everybody.